Welcome to the Pop-Up Pod, a podcast that's similar to a pop-up shop or a pop-up restaurant in that it's sporadic. Sometimes it's here and sometimes it's not. Each 12-episode season dives deep into a single question. And the question that we've been exploring in season one is this, should I get married? 12 episodes, 12 different people, honest conversations about the joys and the struggles of long-term romantic relationships. These intimate conversations are 100% listener-funded, paid for by my Sliding Scale Patreon community, and that means that you won't hear any ads or sponsors on this show. It's just me, backed by the support of 400-plus people who have all come together to ensure that everyone involved in making this podcast gets paid. That includes me as the host and creator, my sound engineer, musician, and dear friend, Adam Day, as well as every single one of our guests. Our Patreon community also funds the creation of a full transcript for each episode, which you can find in the show notes to help make these conversations more accessible. Those are our production ethics here at the Pop-Up Pod, and if that aligns with your own values, I would love to invite you to come check out our community and join us at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. It's a really fun and easy and welcoming space, and remember that it's run on a sliding scale. So that means you can pay whatever amount makes most sense for you, either as a monthly payment or an annual payment. You can cancel at any time. You can move up or down the sliding scale as needed. And when you join, you'll get access to a ton of bonus content. You'll get the chance to help shape the topics and conversations of future seasons and more. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And hopefully I'll see you there. In the meantime... I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest, Kate Flanders. Kate, whose pronouns are she, her, joins us to talk today about healing. More specifically, she shares what the past two and a half years have been like while healing from a sex-related trauma. So yes, this is a gentle content warning for you about the conversation ahead, but I want you to know that Kate does not go into any detail at all about the experience, and instead, this is just a beautifully honest and thoughtful accounting of what helped to bring her back to herself, as well as what she wants from dating and sex now that she's open to those things in her life again. She talks to us about therapy, about how the commitment to no longer accepting harmful treatment in one relationship wound up changing pretty much all of her relationships. She tells the story of why she bought herself all new sex toys, how she is romancing herself these days, and more. Kate is such a dear friend of mine, and I feel grateful and honored for the tenderness with which she shares this story with us today. Here we go. Here we go, my dear Kate Flanders. Welcome to the show. Oh, friend. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. It's such a treat to interview close friends. It's like such a, it's like an add-on bonus to a relationship that I really like. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I don't get to do it often enough myself, but um, the conversations are so different. It's so different. Yeah. It's it's funny. Like, I like both. I like the getting to know someone on air. It's almost like we're going on a first friend date and everyone else just gets to listen. Like, that's its own kind of sweet thing. But when you don't have to do any, like, I know you very well, right? So it's like, <laughs> great. Let's just, like, dive right in. 
Oh, my gosh. Um, So our kickoff question, share with me, please, and with everyone listening, your relationship bio, less of what do you do and more of who and how do you love? Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I've I've been listening to the podcast, so I knew that you asked other people this, and I did not prepare an answer. Um. A few different things right now. Number one, like my relationship with myself is super important to me right now. So I love myself. And something I feel grateful I can say is that I am experiencing lots of different kind of love in my life right now. And so, you know, I have people who I have really deep friendship with. I have people who... Yeah, I'm like reconnecting with being in a different country after many years and not seeing them for many years. I have new friends I'm making. I have family and friends that I'm staying connected with after having moved away from them. Like it's really full. My life is really full right now. There's a lot, a lot of good love. Uh, Yeah, it's wonderful. You said that your relationship with yourself is really important right now, and I sort of pinged on the right now. Is that new? Was that not always the case? Was that not something that you used to value? Mm, That is very good detail to pick up. (laughs) No, I would say that I would say that it's kind of new. That is not something that has felt true for me when I look back at maybe the past. Well, even you know maybe the first like 30 years of my life. And then honestly, even up until I was about 34, probably still wasn't really true in my romantic life. Like I don't think that I loved myself enough to really pay attention and be intentional about like who I was choosing to have romantic and or sexual relationships with. And so in some ways it is really new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been spending a lot of time alone the last three, four, five months specifically in a way, you know, partially circumstantial. Um, but I feel like it's more alone time and more intentional alone time than I've ever spent that I've started thinking of it as like, oh, this is my alone practice. Like I'm practicing being alone. I'm practicing being a better friend to myself. I'm practicing enjoying my own company and not seeing that as less than having plans with other people or being around other people. And it's been really hard and lonely and wonderful. And so I feel like I'm particularly attuned to how other people are talking about their relationships with themselves right now, right? Like we pay attention to what we are working on. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's something that like, you know, has come up for me, like I said, kind of well, largely probably since about age 34, which I know we're going to get into. It's like something happened at 34 that really was sort of the catalyst for all of this. But it's it's happening again right now because, you know, at the beginning of this year, I left Canada. So left my family, all my friends, community that I have there, moved across the world, now live in the UK, where I have friends, I have community, I have all kinds of love here, but not not many people who are super close by. So equally, I'm spending a lot of time by myself again. And yeah, like getting to know myself all over again, because I just spent two, like a little over two years living with my family during the whole pandemic and got no alone time. Like, Mm -hmm. I think in over two years, I might have spent about 
three to four weeks alone in all of that. So yeah, I'm in, in, in the, like a new way, 2022 is getting to know myself all over again. Yeah. I want to ask, I want to stay on this alone time thing for a little bit right now in the current iteration, right? You said you've just moved. You're spending a lot of time alone. What do you do? Like particularly in the (laughs) evenings? Yeah, good question. So right now it's kind of a mix. Like evenings are when it's easier for me to connect with people back in Canada just because of our time zone differences, right? So we are eight hours apart. So, you know, as an example, my sister will like typically call me, you know, a couple times a week, say either on her drive to work or on her lunch break. So it's like chat with, yeah, people back home occasionally. Like I typically in my evenings, well, like let's say like four or five evenings a week, I'll probably have like a phone call. Like I'll have a phone call with somebody. But it's also the time that, yeah, like I, I've noticed that I've been eating a bit later than usual. Um, and I really take my time with it and then like take my time to like actually do all of the dishes, not, you know, kind of half clean the kitchen. Oh, I'll finish some things in the morning, just like fully clean and sort of like fully, I don't want to say like, yeah, get everything kind of ready, but kind of for like the next day, even like kind of lay out the thing. So when I come down in the morning to make coffee for myself, like everything's just there. Yeah. So there's like a little more intentionality in in some different ways like that, but also like, yeah, I might just like read, watch a show, watch a movie, something like that. But it, it all, yeah, every night's like a little bit different, but it's like all those kinds of things. I don't know. Does that sound boring? Does it sound? No, it sounds, it's, it sounds like what what lots of people do, right? We read yeah. things, we watch things. I yeah. just I don't know what it is. Like sometimes in the evenings, like particularly, um, Gent has recently switched off of working nights, which has been really good for our relationship. He was working mm. three p.m. to midnight, and it was just not only were we not really seeing each other, but he wasn't getting enough sleep, and so then like his reserves were low, and what it, it just we had a rough time in our relationship when that was happening, and that has recently stopped, and so I'm having less alone time. But when he was gone, it would be like do I just watch Netflix? Do I read? Like, what do I do? Like, how do I like have at home dates with myself that Mm. aren't just kind of like falling into the media hole? And there isn't necessarily a right or wrong answer, but I have been asking friends that lately of like, what do you do in the evenings? (laughs) That seems to be like a curiosity question for me. I also think evenings for me, definitely when I'm on my own, like if I'm with other people, I can stay up pretty late. But honestly, when I'm on my own, I could easily go to bed at like nine o'clock. Oh, yeah, I go to bed at like nine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, for me, evening is kind of like two to three hours, and then it's over. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. This, I feel like this would be a whole interesting like topic of its own, right? Talking to people about their alone practice. Like, what do you do alone? What do you think about alone? What are you working on alone? Mm. Ah, but we are here today to talk about something else, but go Mm. ahead. Well, that's almost where too, like evenings then for me are kind of actually the boring part of the day or like, because it is just kind of end of day. Yeah, read, watch something, talk to someone. I'm more, because I'm such a morning person, it's almost more like, yeah, if you ever did that conversation, it's like, what do you do in the mornings or what do you do in the afternoons? Like, because it would be different for everyone. There's probably way more intentionality in the other, like 
parts of the day. For me too. And that's, I think, why I struggle with evenings. Like the evening comes and my energy reserves are really low and, you know, what do I want to do with it? So, great. Everyone who's listening, tell us, what do you do in the evenings, (laughs) right? Send it in. (laughs) Give Kate my ideas. (sighs) So you mentioned that you were 34, something happened, changed your life. Um, Where do you want to orient us for this conversation that we are going to be having about that? Like, why do you want to have this conversation now? What do you want to share about what happened to give context that will lay the foundation for everything that we are going to discuss? Yeah. I love the question of like, why now? That's super interesting. I mean, partially because you asked, (laughs) like, that's like what prompted it. Um, I think I just feel very ready. And, and honestly, there is a deep desire for me to talk a bit more openly about what the past couple years have been like, because there's this almost a sense for me that because it's something I haven't been talking about, I don't know if this will make sense to anyone who's listening, but like, there's almost a bit of like a creative block for me, especially because so much of the sharing that I do is like very personal. The fact that I have this huge gap of my life that I'm not really talking about. I honestly, like now I'm at a place where I'm like, I can see how much it's impacted my ability to show up and not that I've had to show up. Like I don't owe anyone my story. I don't owe anyone anything, but creatively being personal, like sharing personal stories is something that has always been part of my practice. It has always helped me. And over time and experience and all the different topics I have talked about in my life, I know it's helpful for others. And all the content I consume, I know it's helpful to hear other people's stories. That's what I enjoy most. But yeah, like, honestly, for me, I think that there's a block almost around my creativity because I don't talk about this. Mm-hmm. And and now, you know, I'm almost two and a half years on the other side of it have done so much healing work. There's been so much growth, so much change. And I I feel ready. And so I'm like, oh, what does this look like? And so actually when you came to me with kind of this question, I thought you're literally probably the only person I would do this with, first of all. But yeah, I'm just like, no, I do feel I'm in a place. I can talk about this and, and think it will be really helpful for me to talk mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Yeah. I often feel like closing a healing loop, not that healing is linear and like necessarily has an end date, but being in conversation about it in some way for me is really necessary. I mean, obviously there's there's some kind of core reason that you and I are both lifelong personal story sharers, right? And like mm-hmm. early bloggers and all of that type of stuff, right? It's like the chicken or the egg. Does, <laughs> do you do you start doing that kind of sharing because you're someone who needs to do it for yourself or because you do it, <laughs> then do you need it, right? Like it's, I think it's both, but um, I resonate with that very much that it because sometimes it becomes an obstacle where you can't fully move on or move past it or move into what's next if you don't, uh, I was just going to say, if you don't cannibalize it in some way, (laughs) that sounds like really aggressive. I don't mean that, but there does, for me, there is like a, it has to be churned through the mechanism of like narrative and storytelling in order for me to feel like I've gotten fully to the other side. Yes. I'm nodding incessantly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and I, like not only, yeah, like talking through it, working through it, but I guess when you were saying that, what it made me think of is I don't really talk about it with anyone ever. 
like not never, but the reality is like even, and we'll probably get into this or I'll probably mention this more as I'm talking through it. But the reality is that this is something like a handful, maybe like 10 people know about, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't talk about it with people and that actually too has like also impacted relationships and, you know, all, all kinds of things. So yeah. 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 Great. Let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. So entryway in, um, I guess, yeah. Cause I know you're going to do like a content warning on this. I, I guess I'll, I'll name quite simply, like in November of 2019, I was actually over here in the UK. Um, I was living in Wales and dating someone and we'll just say had a like a sex related traumatic experience like at the hands of that person and I mean dissociated felt myself change in an instant like in an instant and and I'm obviously now two and a half years like on the other side of this but it it changed so much of my life because I changed right away. It changed so much of my life. Mm-hmm. Changing in an instant. What happened right away? <sighs> I'll sort of say like after the piece of like dissociating, like I dissociated for about 24 hours and actually I do have one very distinct memory that feels worth sharing within a few hours of it happening. I was alone finally. And I called the person I would have said, like, and and can say like back then was my best friend, called her and told her what happened. And because I was still like out of it, I wasn't crying or anything. Like I was totally in shock. I, so like, I wasn't super emotional. I wasn't uh, really aware of even kind of what I was feeling or thinking, but I just kind of like named things that happened and was kind of telling her about it. And and I remember saying, like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm not okay, but I don't know what to do in this moment. And uh, her response to that was actually, and like, the, I guess the way I received her response was that was actually the first sign that I had changed. Because what I noticed is that the way that she responded, I immediately felt unsafe with her. Hmm. And, and I'll like even name it, like, and name it not in a way to ever sort of shame her or anyone who has said the wrong thing. Like if someone comes to you, because we just do this, we're like, we're not trained for this. Like, unless you're literally trained in trauma, we're not trained. We, we're not equipped. We don't know what we're supposed to say or what we're right. supposed to do. Being for someone's friend doesn't mean that you are their trauma counselor. No, <laughs> yeah, no, no. But, um, so I, 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 I don't feel anything towards her about the fact that she said this, but, but it was, you know, quote unquote, like not a thing to say, uh, because she said, I think you're just going to have to not think about it. And my whole body was like, it, it received it as I'm not safe with you. I can't share with you. If kind of your response is that like, I kind of just have to yeah get over it or like not think mm-hmm. about it. Cause I'm like, that completely invalidates the experience that I'm having. And so like that, I, yeah, just to say like that moment, yes, the other realities it changed our friendship or kind of was the catalyst for that as well. But it showed me that I was not okay. It was like, oh, I don't even feel safe. Like talking to my best friend about this. Um, because what happened is I just shut down. Like I heard her, 
it didn't feel good and I completely shut down. Whereas before I would have just said something to her. Hey, that didn't feel great. Blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, let's talk about this. But no, I completely shut down. Um, I think things that I noticed in the days that followed were I didn't really feel safe talking to most people about it. So I felt like I was isolating a bit. I mean, there were other like sort of symptoms happening of like panic attacks and some stuff like that. But I think almost like visually something that I saw in myself was like this old version of me. It was literally like she floated away. Like it was like she just came out of my body and floated away. And I did not know who was left over. And over time, there were more examples of like what that actually meant. Like I remember... I think you might have been the first person I ever named it to. Like one specifically was realizing that kind of old me, say around like sex, like dating and sex, she had immediately disappeared. Like I was like, oh, I'm never going to date and like have sex with people the way that I used to. Interesting. Okay. And it just felt like this clear, like, yeah, that's gone. Like it's just gone. And, and there was like grief, like there was so much that happened, right? Like every, every little change that I did see or notice, there was grief that followed because not even necessarily that I loved that part of myself or all these different parts of myself, but I knew them, yeah. right? It's and familiar. Also, yeah, yeah, and also I didn't ask for this to change. Like I didn't do this. I didn't ask for these parts of myself to disappear. But it, it really changed everything. Like I'd say the biggest ones were around, yeah, how I related to people, because I had changed, it then changed how I related to people. It then changed relationships. And yeah, like how I was showing up, <sighs> all kinds of stuff. I, I also think that it's relatively rare that we have an experience that that's um, that's so black and white, that's so before and after, that's like there's a fissure. I think a lot of change is gradual. Mm. And, you know, if it's something that changes the way that you relate to other people, maybe there's an on-ramp, maybe there's communication about it. But what you're explaining is something happened to you that you didn't choose, could not have possibly prepared for, couldn't have prepared your relationships for with yourself or with other people. And then this thing happens and then quite quickly you're different. And then there's that like whiplash of that. Oh yeah, actually I think I think it was my therapist or I heard it somewhere. It was like the the a short definition for some people of like what trauma is is too much, too fast, too soon. So it could be anything, right? Like that's why like we could apply it to the pandemic or anything because it's is too much, too fast, too soon. So you're not prepared, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You're not equipped, you don't know what to do. And that that very much is what it felt like. It was you're right. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that before. But it was a very clear example of like a before and an after. I was different. And to be honest, at the time, one of the hardest things to hear from people, because I did hear it, was you've changed. Mm. And it was like the most painful thing to hear because I knew it, but I couldn't just change back. Like even now, I'm like, I'm not who I used to be. And I'm at this point, it's it not that it needs to be said, but like, I'm okay with the fact that I'm not who I used to be. But yeah, I'm not I'm not who I used to be. And yeah, in the early days of that, like hearing that was so, so painful, because I also didn't know what to do. Like, it was like, 
like I couldn't change it. But then I was also like, I don't even really know how to show up with people. I don't know how to be honest. I don't know how to be vulnerable anymore. I don't know how to share this or not share that. Also, because actually something that's really challenging for me is withholding. Like I find withholding from especially people I care about really challenging. So actually like an extra layer of it was like, it was actually really difficult to not tell people what was going on uh, and why I had changed. But yeah, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't. What were some of the first steps that you took in, I guess, what could be called a healing process? So right away, something I feel so grateful, like looking back on to say that is true is there was this full body knowing that I needed to go home and I needed to find a therapist. Like that was, I just knew it. Like there was no other option for me. And I do think like, you know, in the past I've gone through situations where I've sort of suffered through something for a long time and and then eventually make the decision. But it was so clear for me. And I will say like, I was mad about it. I was like mad that I was having to leave the UK or having just to make that decision. And of course there are other options or could have been other options. Like I could have found someone there or whatever, but it was like, I wasn't okay. I need like, my body was like, go home, go to your family meaning like to live with my family because I didn't have a home like in Canada. Right. And so it was like, go home, go be with your family and find a therapist immediately. And that piece was a little challenging just for the time of year because I booked a flight and I was home, I think like nine or 10 days later, like after it had happened and I'm looking for a therapist, but you know, the last month of a calendar year everyone's booked. And also everyone who has benefits is using up their benefits. And you're like, I'm someone who doesn't have benefits because I'm self-employed and I, I would pay for immediate help. But like every single therapist I reached out to was like, oh, I'm unavailable or, oh, I'm not free till February. Oh, da, 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 da. And they would always just pass on another name. So I honestly think that I, I probably contacted like 12 different therapists, which is, which when you're already having a hard time, like the, the insurmountable nature of making one phone call when you're having, you know, some version or any version of mental health crisis. Yes, it was so much. And I feel grateful at the end, I got kind of just so exhausted by it that I ended up texting a friend of mine in um, Squamish, who I knew had a therapist she'd worked with for a long time. And I just said, is there any way you can ask your therapist if, if they know someone? Because I, I can't keep doing this. Like I can't keep emailing people. And anyways, a connection was made. She actually couldn't see me until early January. So that was a challenge for me. Like December was a challenge for me, but like, at least I knew it was coming. Like I knew therapy was coming. So it was like a really challenging month, but then I knew it was going to be there. Mm -hmm. And, and like, I still work with her. I still work with the same therapist now. So like, I feel very grateful for that. But yeah, I think that you know, I'm not going to write or wrong them. It's just like the steps for me were like, I went home because I had to sit with it for December. I really compartmentalized and kind of just held it all in. I didn't really talk to anyone about it. I also though, like, I didn't see that many friends. Part of compartmentalizing was like keeping a boundary of like, I'm just going to kind of be with myself, be with my sister, just kind of navigate this for a month. There were a handful of friends who did know what had happened, 
so stayed in contact, but also didn't like just dump it all on people. Yeah, the beginning was kind of challenging, but like getting myself home and at least getting a therapist was key for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that I'm really interested in that I know was part of your healing was navigating the both and of taking absolutely zero blame or responsibility for this thing that happened to you while also being radically honest with yourself about your own history of dating men who treated you, in your words, quote, like absolute garbage. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I think that there's really something here because I, I... I both think that we live in a culture that wants us to um, take on too much responsibility, right? This, like, self-exploration, self-actualization narrative, right? Bootstraps, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And then also a culture where nothing's our fault, Mm -hmm. right? And it's, like, very, I think, simple to form a narrative at either end of that spectrum, but you have and continue to be in this, like, center of the Venn diagram where both of those are true. And I'm interested, like, how you feel like you were able to hold seemingly conflicting truths at the same time. Like, what did it look like to actually work through your own patterns and choices and history that it's, like, I don't even want to say that led you to that because no, no. it wasn't your fault. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, right? like yeah, even yeah. trying to find language around it is hard. So I can't imagine how that felt in your own body. Yeah, yeah. No, and this is, I think, a great topic. I think, like, one thing I can speak to just in in general is I am someone who does always like look at my own behavior and see where it's getting me, especially like if it's getting me to a place that I don't like. Right. So this is why like I'm sober. Oh, like, because I was, you know, drinking in a way that was unhealthy for me and leading me to bad places, um, or just unfortunate circumstances and getting out of debt. You know, I was someone who lived off credit. Right. So it's like, I, I am someone who I guess is always willing to look at my role in something And I will say I feel quite grateful for that because that's not something that was modeled for me growing up, right? Like what was modeled for me was uh, to play the victim and to blame everything on everybody else and take zero responsibility ever for where life was, right? And so it's like that was what was modeled. Being the victim was what was modeled. I had no interest. And and my whole life, I have had no interest in being the victim. I'm not interested in living that way. But... I will say, like, when I started therapy, like, I kind of knew it as a back topic of, like, like, because when I said, you know, like, a thing I knew that was going to change right away was around, like, dating and sex. Like, that was, like, this thing of, like, oh, I'm clearly not dating or sleeping with people the way that I used to anymore. But I hadn't quite looked at, like, what that meant, what those patterns were, like, stuff like that at that moment. But starting therapy is, is what helped prompt this because, there was this space where, you know, of course I'm coming in, we're talking about a bit about the experience and like obviously working through that. But then also, you know, in therapy, you're looking at other things. What is the rest of your life look like? What is your support system look like? What are your closest friendships? Who is your family? Who are they? Right? Like what's been modeled for you. And what I was able to see in therapy was, 
not only in the past that like, I already knew some of this stuff just from some reading and work I'd done on my own. Like I knew that I was someone who had an anxious attachment that I always picked men who were avoidant, like literally always. And I, and like why, which is just like, it's familiar. My mom was avoidant, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so I knew those things a little bit already, but what I'd never examined was really like the topic of codependency and like codependency and people pleasing, enabling, especially as being someone who's anxious and who is, I don't always love therapy terms, but it's, it's true. Like my core wound is abandonment, right? So like I am always, or not always, but like that is my core wound. Like if, if I'm like, deeply anxious the fear for me is like I'm about to be abandoned and so that like all of those pieces led to me consistently like my entire life staying in relationships where I was being treated horribly putting up with it because I was grasping to hold on to whatever good was there not only because it was familiar like that was the entire pattern of my childhood but also because I just didn't want to lose that last little bit, which is so hard to just say out loud, right? Like to say like, yes, I accepted the worst behavior from people, like including things like I've been cheated on by almost every single person I've dated, but I would like, if we didn't break up, I would stay with them for a little bit longer. And often it would happen again to yeah, constantly being gaslit or, yeah, like, it's just the, like the the list is long of behaviors that I sort of put up with. That is who I was. And so like, I think the pieces I hadn't quite understood enough around at that point were like the codependency pieces, enabling people pleasing, like I hadn't looked at all of that quite before. And in those things, you do have to look at your, like, especially codependency, you have to look at your role. Because yes, like it, the that might have been like developed or like kind of prompted by someone, but you're also doing things to stay in it. And if you know that it's not right for you, uh, you have to get out of it. So there was a lot of work in those areas that then ultimately not even just have anything to do with dating, like ultimately changed more relationships of mine because I actually had codependency in a few other relationships and all of those had to change as well. Will you talk a little bit more specifically about what codependency looked like in your relationships? Yeah. Well, there's like two things are coming to mind. It's like my mom is coming to mind, like growing up with my mom. But also, yeah, like the person I had been best friends with for so long. Gosh, actually in both relationships in a way, it's like both of them would act really fragile at times, not always, but like at times and act like they needed me like desperate at times, like the reactions almost like if I couldn't show up, like it was like desperate. Like it was almost like they're like, I can hear their voices still. Like it's almost like life or death. If you cannot show up in, in just that exact moment and you do it like partially because you know, maybe you do just care about them, but partially because you like it it sadly just like feels good to be needed 
but also that you do kind of get warped in your thinking of like, you think that something bad's going to happen if you don't. You, you genuinely think it. And first of all, like growing up, like as a child, that's way too much to put on, on a kid, right? So like the fact that that was my childhood, literally from day one, like I can reflect on memories of, of experiences where I'm like five, six years old. And that's what the relationship was like with my mom. And yeah, you, you put up with it. You, you keep doing it. So even though like, as you get older, right, like you don't quite know it obviously as a kid, but as you get older, it's like you, you can tell in your body kind of like something's not right here. Or like, like what I now understand is like the feeling that's not right is there. Like this is unhealthy and I'm crossing my own boundaries if I do these things. Yeah. Like it's just the cycle that you end up in. But the other parts of it are like, these people weren't always that nice to me or didn't always show up for me when I needed them. Mm-hmm. Or so it's like, it's such like a weird thing. Cause it's not always like some codependency is you're, you're both playing that role fully equally for each other. And sometimes it's not because I didn't get that same thing. Like if I needed something from my former best friend, there were actually lots of times she wouldn't show up for me, which is so interesting. And yet I would still show up for her anytime she needed me. And like, actually, that's very similar to my mom. Like my mom did not show up for me unless it was going to make her look good. Mm. Like unless it was going to make her look like parent of the year, that is the only time that she would show up. And so that was more like if someone else was going to see it, then she would show up. I think it's interesting, this reflection on how you're the common denominator in all of your relationships. That obviously we're talking about this through the lens of, you know, a catalyst of a sex-related traumatic experience and the healing process of that, you know, then leads to looking at your patterns of why are you choosing the men that you're choosing? Why did you deny your needs and feelings in past romantic partnerships? What stories were you telling yourself that led you there? And then it's like, okay, that's worth looking at, but you really in my experience, can't change one thing without it affecting everything. Like, I I found this a lot personally with my own sobriety, that at the beginning, it's so cute that I thought that I was just quitting alcohol or, like, that that was the goal. And I needed to believe that delusion in order to even do it to begin with because if you had told me, like, okay, you're going to get sober and then your whole life is going to change, I don't think that I would have done it because it would have felt too overwhelming. But changing that did in fact change everything. And it sounds from what you're explaining that this was similar, that starting and getting deeper into the healing process for this specific event that happened, then like really wound up leading to you breaking patterns in other relationships, like that it affected the trajectory of other relationships as well. And massively, like in the, so it's been two and a half years, in the time that has followed like it, it took time for all of these things to ultimately happen or for me to get comfortable making the decisions I'm about to tell you about. Because again, like it's not like you just make some of these decisions overnight. But yeah, in the two and a half years that have followed, I am no longer friends at all, like in any contact with the person who had been my best friend for like... Or with the person you called at in this trauma. Yes. Yeah. Number mm-hmm. one person, number one phone call. And, and who I would have said was my best friend for like 15 or 16 years. Like we are no longer even in communication. And it's not, you know, just because of that or just because I'm looking at things. There were other factors as well, but it's like that lot. Like once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like once I saw all these different things, I'm like, oh, I can't actually just 
go out into the world and be our in our friendship in the same way anymore. Like I can't actually put up with the same things or I can't, I'm no longer willing to deny my needs. And like, yeah, it's like things like you don't show up for me. Okay. Well, like, I don't actually think that's a friendship I can keep going. Whereas for years, like it had, even though it had bothered me, I had put up with it. Right. So in the, in the time that's well, yeah, it's like, I'm no longer friends with her. Um, I ended one other friendship and I guess it's not ended, but I set a very firm boundary with my mom last year, which, and the boundary is one that I knew kind of would be the end. Like quite simply, I said to her that we could not have a relationship until she went to therapy. Like unless she was willing to go to therapy and look at things on her end, we could not have a relationship. And I knew in saying that the reality is she'll never go. My mom will never go to therapy. And so I'm, what I'm also saying is this is the end, right? Or at least it's the end for now. If she And like, I will uphold what I've said. If in 20 years she comes to me and says that she's going to therapy or something, I will have a conversation with her. I will, I will stick to that. But yeah, I set a very firm boundary. Like a lot changed. It was not just healing from a thing. Right. It was not that, okay, I'm going to date differently in the future. Nope. This might be sort of a nuanced topic to ask about, but what's coming up for me in thinking about this, and obviously you mentioned it's a two and a half year period. It's always funny when you're talking about a big change in a condensed way that it seems like these things happened like dominoes falling rapid fire when actually this is like quite a large chunk of time. And maybe I'm projecting from my own periods of change. But when you go through something that makes you feel isolated from people around you, either because they didn't experience it with you or because their reactions to your experience make you feel unsafe, like you described, and then you decide consciously or unconsciously to start changing these relationships. Was that lonely for you? I mean, the short answer to that is yes. Like, actually, it's interesting of any question you could probably ask me. It was interesting that I almost felt emotional at that. Like, it was incredibly lonely. Yeah. That's interesting too, because a a reflection I have now is like, uh, so I said there was one other friend who I ended our friendship with as well in this time. Like something I even noticed was like a couple people that I had gravitated to, to talk to about some of this stuff. It's like, even as time went on in those relationships was able to see things like, actually they weren't, this was not a healthy friendship either. They kind of knew the right things to say but actually this wasn't healthy either. And so there was so much of feeling like there was no one person. And I, this is true. There was no one person who like said all the right things or made me feel like they completely understood what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And, and still like there, are, you know, have been people who have made me feel very seen who can hold the space for it. And reality, it's like, just like validate you, validate you, validate your experiences. That's really honestly, like if I could give any advice on it is like just that, like if you can just validate someone's feelings, like I'm so sorry that that happened and it makes complete sense that you feel that way. Like, you know, that is like literally what you can give people. That's like a gift to just validate. Um, But yeah, there were, there was no one person who like said or did all the right things. Mm -hmm. There was more often than not feeling like, I don't want to talk about this either because you you kind of just feel like people are going to say the wrong things. Sometimes you feel like you're going to be a burden. Like I'm just like, I don't want to put this on people. 
Yeah, it just was. And you know what I will say too is like as time's gone on, it's not even just about the trauma. Like actually the the mom stuff more than anything is actually one of the things that's been super isolating because I find that people don't have a lot of open conversation around this, like around the fact that they've chosen maybe to end a relationship with a parent. Um, I also feel like it's still not quite like culturally acceptable almost. Like you're just like supposed to put up with anything because it's your parents. And so actually I find that one the most, like I don't have that many people I can talk to about that without like these, these looks of reaction of just like, like, oh my gosh, either like, how could you do that? Or that sounds so awful or so difficult. Like, like, like this must be so horrible for you. And you're like, well, that's actually not even true either. Like there are, there are moments, I guess, where it's kind of sad, but I'm like, I've done all that grieving. Like all of that's like years and years behind me. And so I find, yeah, kind of that one too, honestly, like an isolating experience. Yeah, trying to make sense within ourselves. I mean, forget about in conversation with other people, but trying to make sense within ourselves of what treatment from others we're going to accept, what is a compromise versus what is a deal breaker? Because you're right, there really is a lot of cultural baggage around what you're supposed to accept from your, you know, blood family, from your parents, that the things that you're supposed to just like put up with or the number of I guess it's not a second chance after the second time, but the number of second chances that you're supposed to give people, right? And that the rules seem to be different for different relationships. And why? Why mm-hmm. is that? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I guess I get it. And it's so, like, that's so unhealthy. If you are not healing the stuff that is actually, like, part of you and taking care, especially, too, of, like, the parts of you that did not maybe get taken care of as a child... Like, honestly, like this whole, I, I haven't even thought to talk about this, but like a whole other area of sort of healing was literally inner child stuff. Like I've just taken care of who I was when I was like six, seven, eight years, even younger. Like there are like pieces of this that have been taking care of a child version of myself who was not being taken care of and who was like constantly neglected and ignored and and things like that. And it's like, if you're not healing that stuff, I don't know how you actually can heal the rest of it. Like maybe you can, but like for me, as, as I'm continuing to kind of go through this, I'm like, I don't know that I would be on the path I'm on if I hadn't done some of that work. Like if I hadn't actually addressed childhood stuff, family stuff, I don't know that I would be like where I am in, in kind of this journey. Can you name a couple of other things that were supportive for you in the healing? Obviously, therapy. Therapy was huge. It's going to sound strange because it's, in a way, nothing to do with it. But, like, I also think I just took, like, a lot more care of my physical body. Now, what I really mean by that is, like, going for regular massages, even just, like, once a month. But, like, going for a regular massage And that took time because I was not comfortable with people touching my body for a long time. But doing that, I remember another experience was going for a proper bra fitting and having this experience of being like, oh my God, even if it's with a woman and like, I'm, I'm straight, like even though it's with a woman, you, you might feel safe with a woman still having this feeling of like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. And then being like, this was, it was actually such a safe experience being like, okay, people can help you in all kinds of ways and it's safe. It's okay. 
I, and I think inner child stuff and what that very specifically means, if I can get like a silly example, even to kind of lighten the mood here is like something I realized if we're talking about like how I used to deny my needs, like in relationships, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that I used to deny in relationships was whatever my hobbies and interests were. Like if I could tell that they were different from what the, the person I was dating was interested in, I immediately hid them because it made me feel like they wouldn't like me and therefore would not be interested, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, and I would be abandoned and like all the things, right? Right. It's like you have to change yourself in order to be palatable, likable, lovable, whatever. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And again, it honestly too goes to like, it's like, I just didn't think I was enough. I didn't think my interests were good enough. I didn't love myself enough. Right. So genuinely one of the things that I've done is like, figuring out like what I loved when I was a kid. And so like, I've always loved reading, but I do think that there was an age when I, I kind of stopped reading kids books and probably started reading adult stuff way too soon. And so I then like started this whole journey of kind of revisiting like middle grade novels. So books that are for kids like eight to 12 years old, right? Because I definitely by, by like 10, I was reading stuff that was too old for me, including just like self-help stuff, literally reading that stuff at like 10, 12 years old. Like, oh my God. So <laughs> I have such a clear image of like little Kate, right? And it's obviously we're on video right now and that's not being recorded. The way you just touched your glasses, I just like imagine you like, you put the glasses on, you like sit down with the self-help book. Like it's, it's both sweet and heartbreaking at the same time. Yes. <laughs> I'm grateful I could laugh. <laughs> so I've, I've gone through like, yeah, for the past, like at least two years now. Um, but it really kicked in in 2021. I read middle grade novels all the time. And it is both like comforting, um, also extremely satisfying. I think sometimes too, like I've read obviously so much nonfiction over the past like 10 plus years, um, written nonfiction and also like adult fiction, like you just kind of read a lot about like adult problems. It's actually so incredible to read books written for kids and to see the imagination that's in them, the magic that's in them. Also just kind of the the language that's used. It's so, so different um, and so satisfying, but has really in this like strange way to also become, yeah, like now kind of part of my identity. I'm like, no, I am just someone who loves middle grade novels and, and loves like children's stories in general, like honestly a love language for me. And I love that I have someone in my life who will do this is literally read me a children's book and you have my heart. Like we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And getting to the point where not only is that not something that you're going to hide about yourself, but that you're going to celebrate it and bring the other person into it. Or if they're not interested, fine, but you're not going to change it. No, 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 no. It is me and middle grade novels forever and ever the end. (laughs) That's your committed partnership. (laughs) Um, Less kid-friendly, tell me the story of buying all new sex toys as part of this process. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a... I guess honestly too. Yeah. Because like that, while, you know, in the beginning was never something I imagined would be part of the healing process. I can now look back at and see, you know, if there were like specific milestones or things that we're pointing to that are like, what else helped you? That was massive for me. So like this part will not be surprising, but like, obviously after what happened, I had no sex drive. 
actually, you know what, let me even back up to say this is that always, I literally mean always, I remember from probably like age 11 or 12 years old, like my like sexual relationship with myself has always been important to me always. And then like over the years, I don't know, I don't know when I would have bought my first sex toy, maybe like 18, something like that. Like over the years, um, like I never had a lot. I think I had four or five that I'd sort of collected over like 10 plus years. But yeah, so obviously like after what happened, I had no sex drive whatsoever, including with myself. Like there was just, there was no interest in sex whatsoever. And, and then I started noticing like I was maybe six or seven months in. It's like I was kind of thinking about what it might be like to rebuild that relationship with myself. But I noticed that when I looked at the sex toys I did have, like I had two different thoughts that did not feel good anymore. One was I didn't actually love the idea of using kind of like silicone or like just kind of, yeah, like products made of foreign thing. Like, I don't know, like I can't even quite find the words for it, but like I didn't like the idea of sort of having plastic products anymore. And I don't know why, like it didn't feel natural to me anymore or something. There was just kind of some aversion. Like I didn't want that. That also meant I did not know what I did want because I didn't really know what else was out there at the time. But I would look at them and be like, I don't want something that like is made of some like unnatural material or yeah, like is battery operated. Like I didn't want that. So I was kind of like not interested in them anyways. But then the other piece of it was that now all of a sudden when I looked at the ones I did have I had associations with past partners right so while this person like you know the person I had last been with had never seen any of those because he was in Wales I could think of like yeah past partners who had either touched them used them or just seen them like seen me use them and I didn't want it like I just was like I don't want these things that have any association with anybody else. I want them out of my life. And so I just got rid of everything, but then had nothing and was like, I literally, I don't know what I'm looking for. And I I wasn't even quite at that stage of like, I want to look, but I was conscious of the fact that I did want something different whenever I was ready. And then I remember seeing like so vividly, I honestly can still see it in my mind this Instagram post that Claire Baker um, had had put up. And I don't actually really know Claire's work. Like I know she's an educator and talks a lot about like our cycles as the seasons of the year. But what she had done was created this image, kind of like a circle broken up into four pieces, the four seasons of the year. So kind of like spring, summer, fall, or autumn and winter. And she laid out her four sex toys and which one she used per season of the cycle. Like of the menstrual cycle. Yes. Okay. Yes. Fascinating. So like in these seven well, like in these seven days I use this one. In these seven days I use this other one. And and in the kind of the few days leading up to when I get, get my period, I use this one. And kind of described why. And I will say like I did not adopt this. But I had never seen anything like that. So all it did was like opened my eyes to, whoa, here's another option. And also that's completely about her. And like, yes, like her partner could use them with her and whatever. But like, 
that's completely about her pleasure and what's right for her at different times of her cycle. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. Like I've never seen anything like this, but what I did pick out, so I didn't, you know, like adopt that, but what I did pick out was that there were two that were made of glass. And I was like, Oh, is that a thing? Like I'd never seen glass sex toys before at that point. Also, because I don't think I'd bought a new one in like years. (laughs) So I just like wasn't in the market like ever. But I saw these ones made of glass. And again, I didn't buy, I actually might have bought one that was the same as hers. But I didn't buy, you know, exactly what she had. But it took me down this whole rabbit hole of like, what are glass sex toys? And I, what I will say is that in the end, like I was reading all of these kind of blog posts or, or different articles about not even about the, you know, the products or like what people used or why they kind of use them, but just I like this took me down the rabbit hole of finding people who were talking about like having more of like a ritual around their time with themselves. And I'm also then kind of looking at these products thinking like, these are beautiful. Like I want something beautiful. I don't want like the same sex toy that everybody else has. I don't want one like for me I was like I don't want something that's battery operated I don't know if that'll change in the future but it still feels true for where I'm at right now like well I don't want that but I want something beautiful and so I ended up choosing two like one is made of like a just super clear glass and the other is actually made of pink quartz and there's they were the most expensive sex toys I've ever bought (laughs) but also healing I don't know like healing journey sometimes you spend money I don't know like, but the thing that changed instantly is like I slowed down with them mm. like everything about it shifted for me where I slowed down I took my time like it became like softer and more tender like the whole experience and again it's like that's not always true now and won't always be true in the future. But like, I really needed it then. Mm-hmm. Like that is something that helped me. Like I bought something that was just for me, had no association with anyone else, except I thought it was beautiful and I wanted it. That was it. And then I took time with them and it still took a long time. Like even now, you know, almost two and a half years in, it's like, I don't quite have the same sex drive that I used to. But like almost, and I'm like, that's interesting. Like, and, and I do know like a huge piece of it has been rebuilding my relationship with myself first and foremost. Yeah. Is there anything else that you can name that helped or helps you to nurture that relationship with yourself? Like the sexual relationship with yourself? Yeah, it's all like, well, some of it is like non-sex stuff, right? Like some is... I feed myself really well. And this is going to sound funny. That actually started with some inner child stuff of like, I would ask myself this question of like, if I was my child, what would I feed myself right now? Which is such a different question when you sit down to eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Like the habits I sort of picked up from that have all stayed. And so like, I feed myself really well. And and it's like nourishing myself. So it's like, I take care of myself through food, through what I choose to consume, through different boundaries that I set just like in general. And yeah, you know, I guess like I do walk and like 
I guess like physically, like I'm more physically active than I ever used to be, but it's all from this place of like, I know this always makes me feel better. Like it's never a punishment, right? Like I'm like, I just know how good it is and that it gets me out of my head and into my body. And that if I'm taking care of myself constantly, like if I'm constantly like, how can I get into my body? That all of that work, like, or all the different ways you can do it have slowly, yeah, like continually led to me coming back to myself. And, and like, I guess there's like some fun ones, like I, you know, bought new bras and stuff like that. And you're like, I do that for me. That's not for anybody else. Yeah. Right. But so there's like some that's like a little more sexual or a little bit more about your physical body, but the majority of it is, yeah, getting into my body and and just taking care of myself in all kinds of ways. And feeling like that's a thing that you deserve and are allowed to do, even and especially when it's not as part of a partnership. It's not like I'm making this nourishing meal because I'm going to eat it with someone else. Right. Yeah, no. Yeah. 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 So I want to ask about when you realized you were ready or at least open to dating again. But before we get there, is there anything from the healing process that you haven't spoken about that you want to share? I don't think so. I think we've covered a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then tell me, when did you realize that you were ready to date again? Yeah. I mean, the only way to answer this is to say that I didn't know I was ready. It is truly like just that I connected with someone and thought like, whoa, he is really interesting. This is really interesting. And yeah, like I, I, you know, I say this was maybe a year and a half in and every part of me before that, there no dating, no dating apps. Like I had zero interest. I wasn't, I hadn't had sex with anyone, like anything at all. Right. Like I had no interest in any of it and still was not thinking, oh, I'm going to look for someone. Oh, I'm, I'm now ready. And then connected with someone literally because like we now just joke, but it's true. He slid into my DMS, but like from his first message, I knew like, I was so intrigued, like from his very first message and we, yeah, just started going back and forth within like, I don't know, a month or something like switched to WhatsApp. And we just started building this very like slow and very intentional relationship that was built on like right away, just like trust, self-respect, respect for each other. There were really healthy boundaries Um, but we could talk about huge things. There was like tons of empathy expressed between us and it was just, it was so healthy. Like it was just unlike anything I've ever experienced. And I will say it was long distance. So there was this element where the healthy boundaries in some ways were easy (laughs) because like, uh, there was, wasn't going to be an opportunity for us to connect like in person, like the long distance actually probably really served a purpose actually in both like the growth that we experienced, but also in my own healing, because it meant that dating wasn't really on the table. Sex certainly wasn't on the table. I guess like technically we could have escalated it to something where, you know, it was like, uh, I mean, obviously you can have like a sexual relationship through your phones, through technology. There's all kinds of things you can do, but to be honest, we never even really talked about it all that much. And yeah, it's just, 
it was so, it was just so healthy. Like it was so healthy and challenging for me. I think because at the same time, I hadn't felt like I was at a place like Mm -hmm. where I was quite ready. But I do think the distance really just helped with that. Yeah, that it, I mean, it creates a container that wouldn't be there if, it, you know, they live next door or whatever. Yeah. Um, what has it been like to reintroduce partnered sex to your life again? What's different in your approach now? Mm, I mean, so technically, I've only had sex with one person. And different in approach definitely has been like being honest about like what my experience was naming that consent is like needed at every stage. And I don't actually think that'll be true like forever. Right. But just kind of in the beginning of like, you know, if you're getting to know someone or whatever, like consent feels super important. Yeah. And, and like what I can say now is like, so I've only had sex with one person Things I feel grateful for is like all of that was respected. It also was someone I trust. And, you know, I I felt safe. I felt like taken care of. I like everything about it was good. But there was something really interesting that happened for me where I realized like even though everything was good, I was in my head about something I've never consciously been in my head about before. And I can really only describe this as performative thinking. Okay. So even though we were in it, like in a, it was a like a really good experience. I was also in my head at times thinking, I should do this. I should do this. Yeah, like and and not that I wanted to do those things, but that I was thinking I should. And all that that's given me is like some information because like, I'm not sleeping with other people right now. Like I'm, and we can talk about that, but it's like, I'm not having sex right now. Um, So it's just given me information. I'm not acting on this information at the moment, but it's left me with this question of, first of all, it was like, oh my gosh, how much of my previous sex life was performative? Like I know, that or like was, script following, right? Where it's like I should do this now. I'm supposed to do this now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Or like do it because he'll like it or w- whatever, right? Like I do it because it makes me seem sexy or confident or mm-hmm. you know fun loving or down for whatever or yeah yeah. I mean that's so deeply relatable to me. Yeah, and but yeah, like for me it was like the first time I've ever consciously noticed it like saw it like happening in the moment. So it left me yeah, with the first question of just like, oh my gosh, how much of my past sex life was performative? And then two, I mean, like something I feel super grateful for, grateful to myself for is that I didn't do any of those things. So all these performative thoughts I was having, I didn't do any of them. That also kind of left me in a weird headspace, but like. <laughs> it's like, well, then what do I do? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So that also like did a number on me, but like, uh, like deer in headlights, the sex edition. (laughs) (laughs) But it has left me now with like, I wonder what sex will look like going forward, like without anything that's performative, like what is non-performative sex going to look like? And Mm -hmm. I don't know because I'm not having sex with anyone right now, but 
I will say it's so funny because I'm I'm kind of in this weird space right now where it's like I'm not really interested in dating, and I'm certainly not interested in like sleeping with I don't know like people who are new to me like and like casual sex doesn't feel like a thing for me or just you know like it's just. But there's this part of me that is very curious of what non-performative sex could be and like feels very excited to eventually figure that out when the Mm -hmm. time is right. Yeah. I'd love to hear it can be sex related or not or, you know, relationship related because obviously you talked about, you know, codependency and, you know, wanting to choose different people who treated you better. Are there a couple of stories or examples about specific growth moments in the relationship with this person who sort of catalyzed you into thinking maybe you wanted to date mm. again? Like can that you can look back on and be like, oh, I can tell that I'm different or that I've grown because X, Y, Z. I mean, the first answer that's coming to mind, I don't know if there's an exact moment, but like the first answer that's kind of coming to mind is either I will like want to find someone who is either like securely attached, um, like under the attachment styles, like who is either securely attached or who has been like one of the insecure attachments, but has done the work, like Mm -hmm. understands what it takes to show up more securely. Um, And even under that umbrella, I think someone who has done some amount of work like you sort of see funny memes. I saw one that was like, don't send me a dick pic, like send me your therapist bill or something like that. I'm like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, <laughs> like prove to me that you've done some kind of work on yourself, but mostly meaning like I, yeah, like someone who's not afraid to go in and like get help when they need it and want it. Mm-hmm. I also think that, you know, you don't need to have like all the same interests in, as somebody like I don't need that. But I think that finding someone who shares some of these interests of like, maybe it's like not, you know, personal development always, but like, at least kind of looking at yourself, right? Like being introspective, honestly, like, the thing that I love most about this person in general, is like the way that his mind works. Right. Like, cause I was like, he's, he's very much in my life still. Um, the person that I like connected with long distance, like he's very much in my life. He is someone who I have a, just like a big and loving relationship with. And it's totally unique and different than anything I've had because of all kinds of circumstances. But like the thing I love most is the way that his mind works. And that I'm like, honestly, I've met my match for someone who is as like self-reflective and introspective, I was like, how have I met my match? Like I've never met someone who looks at themselves the way that I do. (laughs) Um, And it's, yeah, it's like, you don't need someone to be at the, you know, exact level as you, but someone who does have an interest in it is helpful because I think that that's actually a piece of me that I used to hide a lot a very specific example I could give is like, I have clearly blogged and shared publicly for over a decade, like 12 plus years at this point. And I have written two very personal nonfiction books. Mm-hmm. And everyone I dated kind of in the time that I was doing those things, I hid all that from. Like I totally hid the kind of work that I did from. And I'm, A, I'm not willing to ever do that again. 
Like I'm never going to hide what kind of work I do or downplay it. Like I used to like downplay it and I can still joke and downplay now in ways of like, you know, I wish my writing was better in this book or blah, blah, blah. But like, that's just constructive stuff that happens as you like get older and you, your writing does change. Right. But I will never downplay the kind of work I've done. The fact that it's been helpful for both me and for other people, like what I'm never hiding that again. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, finding someone who, yeah, has some interest in all these things because I'm not interested in hiding that part of myself ever again. So it sounds like you are open to, curious about, hopeful for partnership in the ways that you've described. Do you want to get married? No. No. And that is something I've almost always known. Like maybe in my 20s, I think someone else said this, like, yeah, like I'm a human in the world. I think it was your episode with Melissa. She's like, yeah, like I thought I would because I'm like a human in the world. And so, of course, you think you're going to get married one day. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, like I, I probably thought I would at some point. But yeah, like at some point in my like early 30s, I just knew, like I knew two things. One was that I didn't want to have kids of my own. And two was that I don't want to get married I very much can imagine a life where like I'm deeply committed to someone forever and ever. I can imagine that, but the like legalities of it don't feel important to me. And like, I, I think I even wrote about this, like in adventures, like I'd be very open. Like if you like had to get married, quote unquote, for reasons of like immigration or something like that, if it's like living in other countries and it helps make it work or whatever, like, sure, do, do the thing. But it, it, I don't place any value on it of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would love to talk about the new personal project that you have embarked on. I don't even know <laughs> if that's the right phrasing, but that you're thinking about called the year of love. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what the idea was at first and like how it's evolving? What is yeah. the year of love? It's a good question. Because <laughs> like it is, it's like it's slowly coming to be something. And there's that piece of me that knows that, like ideas don't fully take shape until you're like in them, you know, but I threw it out. Yeah. Like in February as just a, an idea, like the way you just throw something on the table, you're like, see what happens here. And what I said at first was like this, this topic of like love and kind of all the different shapes that it takes in our lives is just really fascinating to me right now. But also that like what I noticed very specifically was I am in a place where I am finally asking myself like a lot more questions about, I'd say like romantic love specifically, like romantic love or partnership, which can be kind of two different, two different things. But like at that area specifically, because not surprising now based off everything I've just shared, that is not something I ever used to do, right? Like I used to essentially just enter a relationship with whoever chose me. Yeah. Right. And so relatable. So I was not asking any questions of what I actually wanted in this. And, and even just questions like, what am I available for? And so, yeah, like I, I was never doing that. And I think, yeah, not surprising now kind of looking at the journey I've been on, I am in a place where it's like, I feel really solid in my friendships like really, really solid in my friendships and kind of what kind of friend I am and what kinds of friends I want and what our friendships look like. Like that stuff feels solid for me. 
family feels good where it's at right now. And it feels like I actually want to start asking myself these questions now. So I just kind of threw it out as like, I'm just going to spend like this year looking at this more, kind of digging in. It'll be like, you know, maybe stuff I talk about in therapy or stuff I talk about in my social life more, like ask more questions to friends and single friends and friends who like literally like what you're doing with this podcast right now. But just like, what if it's like the hot topic for me in 2022? Like, let's see what happens. So I, I threw it out there. And, and something I've noticed, though, and this is not surprising for me, is that I'm realizing like an idea like that, it's so vague. And I actually want to document a little bit. And so not in like any kind of big way, but something I'm sitting with right now is like, I think something I'd like to do is be like more intentional, maybe about the questions that I'm looking at. And maybe it's like taking more notes because I do journal about this stuff, but I journal about all kinds of things. And so it's like maybe being a bit more intentional with the journaling and like really focusing on some of this. And then maybe like once a month or something, writing a newsletter about something I've been exploring, um, learning about maybe a couple of things I read or listened to that I really loved so that it doesn't have to be like this massive project per se, but doing a little something to like actually document it because right now it does feel too out there. Like it's like too vague and I need a little bit of something to like actually grab onto because I, I am deeply interested in doing this like for myself in actually looking at these questions. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's interesting what can happen when we bring something to the forefront, which doesn't mean our entire life becomes about it, like quit everything and focus on questions of romantic love, but just bringing something like out of the shadows, having a little bit more intentionality around it. We notice things. We gravitate towards different media, right? If we're taking the time to document it in some way, there will be a result of some kind, like something will come from paying more attention to it, even if you don't know what that is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I like I think we both know that probably from other I- examples of things that we have both done. But yeah, absolutely. And even already, it's been so interesting like I've noticed there's been a couple of books in particular I've been like picking up and and I'm pulling so much from them, right? Or like the quotes I'm pulling from books or different things I'm listening to now. I'm really grabbing onto them almost like the way like you do when you're doing research for something. Whereas if you're just kind of casually listening to things, you're like, well, that was interesting. Like that was a nice conversation to listen to, but like I'm actually pulling things and learning from them and like letting them sink in. And Mm -hmm. so even that is already like already something is happening. What are some of the questions you're asking yourself as part of this project this year? Well, one actually, very much inspired by your uh, conversation with Melissa, which is who am I committed to? That question, it's huge. And also it's so clarifying, right? Like the, because I could write you sort of like a longer list of like all these friends I really care about and want to be there for and this and that, but who am I actually like deeply committed to that is a very short list Mm -hmm. and it's been really neat to write it right like to actually write that list and so you actually did that you sat down and made a list Uh okay great tell me about that experience (laughs) were you surprised um 
No, no, but I, I guess you're just surprised. Like it's really short. Like it's really short. So it's like, I have a lot of friends. So that's why I'm like, I'm not going to tell anyone who's like on the right, list. Right, 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 right. This is, this is not, I'm not saying read me out your list yeah. out loud, but I, no, but I appreciate the distinction that you're making between there are lots of people that you care about, that you would mm-hmm. probably enjoy spending time with, that you wish them well, that you love when you get to be together. It's yeah. not like the people on your short committed list are the only people you have any sort of connection or interaction with, but it's differentiating between what does it mean to be in those sort of like looser relationships versus commitment, which obviously, you know, the episode of Melissa Fabello that you're um, referencing, episode one, was so good. Just if anyone hasn't listened to it, go listen to it. Melissa's fantastic. But you can't be deeply committed to that many people at the same time. There's just not enough internal or, you know, time-related resources for that. And that we think of, when you hear the phrase like committed relationship, most people probably automatically think romantic relationship akin to a spouse, right? Something like that. And being able to step back and be like, sure, you can have a committed relationship with someone who does fill that sort of role, but you can also be committed in lots of other relationships. And what does that look like? Yes. And because it it does look different, right? Because also just every single relationship you have is different. So of course it looks different, but what I like can feel in my body, actually, there's like two things. One is that a distinction for me is not just like, who am I committed to, but they are only on the list if I also feel they are committed to me. And again, that goes back to the piece of like, uh, like how much I used to just do for others without getting anything. in. And so it's not like a it has to be equal give and take. It's not that it's just like, are we committed to each other? Is there reciprocity? Yes. Yes. Like, are we both in this? Right. And that is why that list is very short, right? Is like, are both people actually fully in this? Yeah. I, I, ever since having that conversation with Melissa, which I know was impactful for you and I, because then we had, we had a phone call to talk about the episode (laughs) after you listened to the episode, right? So like, that's how meta I get with my own podcast. (laughs) Like, great. I had this conversation. I honestly think after I recorded with her, didn't I text you and was like, I've made a podcast for you. I have a personalized podcast episode for you. And then you and I talking about it and that like, I'm even, I'm interested in exploring what commitment looks like in a very, very tangible way. Like, does it mean that we're committed to, you know, being available for somebody's SOS phone call or text? Is is that what we're committing to, right? Are we committing to some kind of financial resource sharing? Like, actually not just saying like, oh yeah, I feel committed, but like naming for myself and for that other person, what does that commitment look like right now? And for me, something I'm finding is really important is that, in my committed relationships, that we are both committed to, as needed, working on the relationship and growth of the relationship. Yes. Yes. That, and I would say a quality I've noticed of the people on the list is all of them are people who I feel have really healthy boundaries, like for themselves, which is really interesting. Like that's actually just a quality. It's like, these are people who are really self-aware do their own work, have really healthy boundaries. So it's like, we will not cross each other's, like our own boundaries in our, like just to like help the other person, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's like, we still have boundaries and take care of ourselves. And so it's like, these are people I trust. They are taking care of themselves. And though if, and when they do call me and say they need something or just like want to talk or whatever, I'm there for them. Yeah, I'm there for them in a heartbeat. 
Yeah, yeah. That's a really important distinction that I don't know that I would have articulated, but I agree completely. It's really important for me to trust that somebody else that I'm in committed relationship with will say no to me. Yes. Because if I don't trust that they would say no, then that means that I don't trust that their yes is genuine. (sighs) Yeah. And also then like, think of how good the yeses feel when you know that they're genuine. Right. When someone actually says, yes, I have capacity for this. Yes, I have interest in this. Yes, I'm available for this. That I don't then have to be like, well, did they really mean it? Am I a burden to them? Do they Are they secretly wishing that I wasn't relying on them for this? That really, like, it takes away all of that because if I have an experience of that person either saying no or knowing that they would say no, it changes the tone of their relationship. A hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have articulated that either, but yes. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so the last thing about this year of love that I want to ask you for now is how does romancing yourself fit into this project? I feel like somewhat recently you mentioned on Instagram, like either you had like gone on a date with yourself or you use that phrase romancing mm. yourself. And I thought that was really lovely. And def- I mean, it ties back into what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation about alone time, about, you know, sexual relationship with yourself. But how do you think about that idea of romance specifically? Because like romance and sex can go together, but they also don't have to. Yeah, don't have to at all. Yeah. I think um yeah, that that one specifically that you're talking about. So that was a day where here like I had uh gone for like my first haircut, which is also like it was like a new thing that like oh, it's my first time getting a haircut in a new country, right? Like it's a new hairdresser. I've used the same person for years and all of that. And like had a really nice experience just like enjoyed it, enjoyed letting someone kind of like take care of me for the hour. And then I came out of it and like she had curled my hair and I just like looked at myself like I look really cute right now. Like, whoa, that's interesting. All right. And I'm like, I am not going to waste this on just sitting around the house today. Like that was just my first thought was like, I feel really cute right now. I am not actually interested in just sitting at home. And so I didn't have a plan at first. I just got in the car and started driving. I was like, I'm going to drive in a direction that I haven't really been in. And we'll just see what happens today. My thought was like, maybe I would stop somewhere just like for lunch, walk around or something. And then I remembered that I really wanted to go to the York Art Gallery. And I kind of knew how to get there. So yeah, I was like, I'll figure this out. And so I like, went to the art gallery, spent two hours just like walking around, mostly looking at ceramics by myself. Absolutely. Like enjoying every single minute of it, that it was just for me, nobody else. Took myself out for lunch after and just felt cute. Like I just felt cute. And so I wanted to do something. Mm -hmm. And then I also though thought, you know what? I always love when I go to the salon and they curl my hair. And why don't I ever do that? Like I've never been someone who's ever done anything like with my hair ever. I was like, I am going to buy a hair straightener for the first time at 36 years old. And I am going to learn how to curl my freaking hair just because I like it. Like I like how it looks. So it's like little, like it's been little things like that so far. Um, It doesn't always have to be, you know, like spending money or anything like that. But so far it's been kind of little things like that, that have just been, I feel good and I want to keep feeling good like for me because I'm just enjoying it. It's not about like if anyone else is enjoying this. 
I love this. I just like there's something about this feels really sweet to me. I just had the idea of like something we could incorporate in our friendship. Cause I'm like, I want to go on, I want to take myself on dates, right? Almost like self-date accountability of like your assignment is to like take yourself on a date this week. Report back what you did. Like, I that love would be that. Very cute. Well, I will also say I like because where I'm living right now, I don't live anywhere near or like, you know, I couldn't walk to a hiking trail, which I used to be able to do in BC. And so I have to be more intentional now about going on hikes. And I did this two, two, it was like two, two and a half weeks ago now. Um, I considered it a date for myself. I like packed a really nice lunch for myself, lots of snacks. Like this, it was just kind of like a sandwich, but lots of snacks. And I like put like lemon and stuff like in my water. I'm like, I'm going to like make this a whole thing. I drove an hour and a half to the Lake District and went on this gorgeous hike by myself. I didn't listen to anything. I didn't listen to podcasts. I didn't listen to music. Like I was just with myself for like a three or three and a half hour hike. Stopped and had lunch. I mean, I, it was actually cute. I didn't really see anyone on the whole hike. But then when I was eating lunch, like a bunch of people walked by me and like everyone's chatting me up. And I'm like, this is really nice. And, and then I took myself for a coffee after, walked through a bookstore and I was like, this was a whole thing. Like, and I remember finishing that day just being like, this is good. Like, I'm good. I've got myself. Life is good. Like, it was just such an incredible day. And I'm like, I would really like to make that, like, especially because I do have to sort of go further to go hiking. Like, I would love to make every time I do that to be like just a little more of an event, just a little mm -hmm. bit more. I think that's a really beautiful place to wrap up this sentiment of I'm good. I've got myself. It feels hopeful. It feels empowered. It feels optimistic. If you could leave people with one affirmation of sorts based on this conversation, what would it be? What is your wish for everyone listening? Mm. Oh, gosh. It's kind of a two thought. Like the first is just like do not limit yourself to what you think love is. Like this has been huge for me this year, like thinking that love looked one way. If I had done what my instincts, like my sort of anxious instincts wanted me to do, I would not be having the experience and the incredible like love that I have in my life right now. And it's something I've never experienced. Like, it's so unique. I've never experienced anything like this. And yeah, I would have really lost out if I had done what I always do. I would yeah. have really lost out. And so just to like, keep your eyes open to possibilities. Like just what other kinds of love exist. Actually, I'm going to share a little thing that could be kind of just fun for people. Something I've been doing for the past couple of years that I've only recently told a couple of people about is I have like in my notes app on my phone, I have a note that is literally just titled like love witnessed. And it is examples of love that I see that I have never seen before. Okay. And so I'll give you a very specific example. If my friends ever listen to this, they will know it's them, but I love that. And it is um, friends of mine who have been together like for over a decade at this point. And they have this beautiful practice that I've been able to witness a few times where like when we go out for a walk or something, they like their coffee the same way. So they only bring one travel mug and they just share coffee. And I'd never seen that 
before. Like it's such a simple one, but I'd never seen that before. And so I wrote it down just thinking like, that's so beautiful. Like that's so special. They just share a travel mug. They don't need their own separate things. Like they just share a coffee. And what I love, so like I have tons of silly little examples like that in this, but it opens my eyes to all different kinds of things that I haven't personally experienced. And then what I can say is I had a very embodied experience a few weeks ago where someone I was with and we take our coffee the same way at the end of a walk, he pulled out a travel mug that I didn't know he had and it was filled with coffee and he just handed it to me for me to go first. And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. Like it's such a simple thing, but I'm like, I'm having such an embodied experience of like, that is so cool. So yeah, it's a really fun practice. I obsessed, right? I'm like holding myself back and being like, read me the whole list. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, for what it's worth, that could be like a blog post or a mm. newsletter or a part of your year of love, right? Because I think that there is something, uh, I mean, why else am I doing this podcast? There is something transformative about hearing the specific truths of other people's situation. Maybe you hear it and you're like, that is an example of love witnessed and I'm not interested in it. But either way, it expands what you believe is possible. It takes us out of that script. It like breaks these molds that it has to just look this way. And I feel like the more that people are willing to tell the truth about their own love, their relationships, their healing, I mean, everything that you just did, there's it's really generous mm. and it gives us all a sense of so much more is possible than at least for me than I was ever told was possible. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and also we're still not really told it's possible, right? Like my reflection of not dating for a couple of years is people still make comments of like, Oh, when are you going to start dating? As though like, that's the pinnacle. Like, it's like, that's the thing to achieve. And I'm like, like going back to just what I said is like, my life is good my life is filled with love. Like I'm okay, but we still, we just do that. We still tell those stories. We still think it's only one way or only a couple of ways. And yeah. Yeah. For anyone who wants to follow along on this year <laughs> of love or just find you and say, hi, what right now is your favorite way to connect? Uh, I mean, Instagram is the only place I hang out. So mm -hmm. just there. And I typically will share like anything I'm doing there. So yeah, if I'm going to write a newsletter, I'll let people know there. <laughs> um, so on Instagram, you are? At Kay Flanders. Yes. Yep. I will put that <laughs> in the show notes. Thank you so much for having this conversation and sharing parts of your story. Thank you, friend. And thank you for all the work you did to prep for this. It means a lot. Thanks so much for listening to this very first season of The Pop-Up Pod. All of the intimate and honest conversations you'll hear on this show are 100% listener-funded, paid for by my sliding-scale Patreon community. That means no ads and no sponsors, just a couple hundred people coming together to ensure that everyone involved in making this podcast gets paid. That includes me as the host and creator, my sound engineer and musician, Adam Day, as well as every single one of our guests. The Patreon community also funds the creation of a full transcript for each episode, which you can find in the show notes to help make these conversations more accessible for all. 
Those are our production ethics here at the Pop-Up Pod. And if that aligns with your own values, I would love to invite you to come check out our community at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. It's a fun, easy, and welcoming space. You also get access to lots of bonuses. And remember, it's run on a sliding scale. So you can pay whatever amount makes most sense for you each month, depending on your circumstances. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And hopefully, I'll see you there. <laughs>